0: Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Could God be a thought form? What is the true nature of ghosts and spirits? Are Bigfoots naughty or nice? And now for a surprise. Welcome to the
1: 873rd edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Coming to you live from... W-O-O-N, AM, and FM radio in Woonsocket, Rhode Island, on the Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live and on TuneIn.com. I'm not Ben. I'm Cousin Rick. And those conscious questions come from my co-host and cousin and paranormal adventurer, Paul. Today we bring you the Open Line Show and a new guest, myself and co-host. If you'd like to join us on the air, call us at 401 766 one two four zero from anywhere, or email paul at behindtheparanormal.com.
0: Well, our scheduled guest, Linda Zimmerman, had to reschedule today, uh, so we're doing an impromptu open line show. And uh, Ben uh, actually had something come up as well uh, for the second week in a row. And fortunately, uh, cousin Rick Eno, uh, how many Enos are there? Uh, has uh, decided to sit in for him and we're very grateful for that. Uh, and we're also, it's a good thing is that we're breaking him in as a new guest co-host. And, uh, don't worry, our regular and very popular open line co-host Shane Searway will be back with us on the regularly scheduled open line show on December 20th. Uh, he just couldn't make it today because of the short notice. So we're, we're, we're pulling it together today uh, by the seat of the pants. So I guess Rick is sitting in for both Ben and Shane. Not bad for a first time out and uh there we are so uh rick uh is our cool california cousin and our show is northern california reporter uh his brief previous appearances have already earned him a fan base on the show so uh rick uh, welcome back to behind the paranormal and uh, to your debut as a guest co-host and tell us a little bit about yourself uh to all the nice people
1: okay thanks paul thank you for choosing me to do this it's an honor and a great opportunity um, so myself, um, I originally come from um, New Haven, Connecticut, and then, um, so New England, born, also in Woburn, Massachusetts. And um, I graduated from the University of Massachusetts in zoology, had an interest in science, got a uh, master's degree in New Haven in epidemiology and public health, uh, which uh, sort of forms my scientific curiosity. Um, and then, uh, I went into industry after that, and, uh, a few years ago, I had, uh, an experience, um, uh, that I couldn't explain, and I called Paul immediately, and I started my foray into, uh, the paranormal, and I've been doing it ever since. I became a MUFON investigator. I've been doing that for about three years. Um, had a numerous, uh, number of cases, um, always fascinating and hard work, and, um, from there, I hope to continue forward. I, in the future, I hope to be getting more and more involved.
0: And uh, th- th- this stuff does sort of run in the family. Uh, Rick and Ben and I are direct descendants of Nicholas Disborough of Hartford, Connecticut, who had the first recorded poltergeist experience in America by a European in 1783. Didn't know that, did you, Rick? No, I so didn't. So this stuff runs that. in the family for sure. <laughs> so let's. Uh, we have uh, piles of, as usual, uh, lots of questions from listeners, very good questions. So let's uh, start with Facebook here, uh, the questions that came in. And we have somebody local to our listening area, Carrie from North Smithfield, Rhode Island. Uh, why do some people die and come back as ghosts and some do not? Okay. Uh, now, I started to ask that, that question back, you know, 50 years ago or more. And the uh, issues involved are not so simple as one might think. Uh, Rick, you want to take a stab at that? Uh, <laughs> here, you want me to do it? You know,
1: uh, Paul. I always. Uh, I'm going to defer to you, but I, I do believe uh, what you what you've come to the assumption of that a lot of it is is parasites um, taking advantage of of people's emotions. That's that's how I kind of uh, follow what's going on in sort of the ghost world. Um, I, I don't really have a, an explanation outside of that.
0: Okay, well, one of the questions that this this uh, that arises from this question and is something that i asked was asking a long time ago if reincarnation a, in the classical sense is true in other words, if you people die and then you know come back um you know it's uh, then how first of all how how do you square that with Einstein's special theory of relativity when there is no past really there is no future and uh if reincarnation is true in that sense, why are there so many ghosts? All right, and the question of what a ghost really is uh, started to arise in my very very first field case, uh, which started in 1970, ended in 1972. And in 1971, we were at We being a couple of the fellow seminary students and myself. I was a student for the priesthood, and this did not endear me to the faculty. I must say, uh, especially with my extreme youth. And uh, we were hearing things that were indica- indicative not of people being dead, but of sort of a normal day going on somewhere or somewhere else, a term that I hadn't thought of yet. But it was just, you know, are these dead people? They didn't seem to be dead at all. So uh, the issue of what we're really dealing with as ghosts, it comes up in, in another uh, conversation I've been having with, with a, uh, someone more local as well, uh, who runs a ghost hunting team. But... Um, I don't think the question why do some people die and come back as ghosts and some do not uh you have to ask the right question in order to get the right answer. Uh and thank you Carrie for writing in but uh I I think that we don't know really you know what th- this means in the sense of if our ideas about the multiverse are true. You have all kinds of p- parallel worlds, and th- this is good physics in an extreme way. All kinds of parallel worlds with all kinds of different outcomes, uh, all possible outcomes. Uh, how can you have death at all? Maybe death is not a possible outcome. Sure, we go to people's funerals or used to, uh, and and see people um, you know pass away. But uh, what's really happening there? Uh, we think that there are many, many versions. Of ourselves, and again, this is good physics, uh, in an extreme sense, and uh, that that's really what's going on. I mean, it, it well, one of the things that came up, even in the, the issues of uh, particularly Roswell and uh, the uh, UFO, uh, crash incidents that have occurred or alleged to have occurred is, uh, maybe. If the multiverse thing is true and they use multiverse, uh, they being aliens or whatever that may mean, traveling back and forth uh, or here, or hither and yon. Maybe when they crash, a death is only a minor inconvenience because there's so many other versions of themselves in the other worlds. Uh, it, it forms a rather interesting uh, and elegant set of possibilities. So I don't think people die in any classical sense. I don't think ghosts are spirits because that's not possible under our laws of physics, so we're told. But that could be possible in other worlds with different laws of physics. And um, I don't think anybody sort of does not keep going in some sense. So uh, the whole issue of ghosts being spirits is hard to grasp for many people. However, we will get into that a little bit later uh, as we deal with a, a dialogue that's been going on. Oh, okay, we have two callers waiting. Uh, thank you, Dave Richards, who's filling in for us. So why don't we take uh, whoever was first. <laughs> All right. Hello, uh, are you hearing us? Uh, welcome to W O O N and Behind the Paranormal.
2: Hello. Oh, hello. Hi, I do hear you.
0: I have okay. a question. Yes, ma'am. I'm
2: going to say it was a ghost. Can ghosts actually... Well, they can because it happened
0: to me. Have sex with a human being. Okay, believe it or not, that has come up. Okay, I've never run into it personally. Well, that again, there have been some allegations, but uh, it's th- there is a, a, a parasitical entity, as we would call it, uh, to, or two kind of known as the incubus and succubus from. from way back in in history, they were known in western culture and they're known all over the world in different cultures but maybe different names and these uh, supposedly will uh, be able to have relations with with physical human beings Uh, this also comes up and maybe Rick could address this this comes up in in cases of abduction by aliens and of course many of our our labels uh, depend on our own narrow paradigm, we might call it a ghost uh, somebody else seeing it in a different context might call it an alien, but it might be the same phenomenon. Rick, what, what say you?
1: Well, I've, I've certainly heard cases where abductions have happened, and, and some of it's not even abductions so much as uh, consensual. I do know that they, they do occur. There is uh, someone calling in today for us um, that can address that specifically, and hopefully she'll be calling in soon. But I have heard those cases. I have not worked on one,
2: but I've definitely okay. heard those cases.
0: Okay, but Well, again, it actually
2: uh, happened to me. Um, it was, I saw the shadow of it. I totally felt it on my body. And when I looked at my body, I am a brown-skinned woman. Now my body is Caucasian, that area where it touched me. And I went to the doctor. And all the doctor could do was laugh. I went laugh. to the library, and I read Paul's book. And that kind of calmed me down a little bit.
0: Well, <laughs> which book was
2: it? I have no idea. I went okay. to the one well, do- library, and I read a book by Paul Enos. And well, he long was as saying something down, about parasites.
0: Cool. Sure, sure. Okay. Well, people often tell us that, that you know... I don't have to be afraid of this anymore, or as afraid, because now I understand it. So hopefully our explanations were correct. Rick, you were going to say
1: something. Yeah, um, the the trauma people in, get from this is very, very real. There is a uh, documentary out called The Seeding, which uh, there are <clears throat> victims of of this, whether it be, in this case, it would be alien in, in, in the seating, and in this woman's case, it could be a parasite or something other. But the trauma is very, very real. And, um, it goes on for a long time. And I, I recommend if you have the time, I believe you can get it on the net. It's called this, the seating. And, um, it, it's actual conversations with the victims where this has actually happened.
0: That that could help. Well, thank you very much for calling in. Very interesting, uh, conversation.
2: Okay. Bye-bye.
0: Okay. And, uh, oh, there's the phone ringing. And I, I think we might have our, uh, our second caller. All right, well, thank you very much, uh, and uh, welcome to WON and Behind the Paranormal.
3: How you doing, Paul?
0: Oh, be- better than nothing. Uh, how how, uh, how are you? And uh, who are Good we Joe? talking
3: with this morning? I actually, I, you're talking to Ray. I am actually um, the president of Metro West Paranormal Investigators. Um, oh, okay. I had the privilege of meeting you in Webster last year, and I actually got okay. one of your books, which is really awesome. So, um, yeah, I spoke to you. Um, I think it's interesting, I mean, from what you've done in your past, and it's really cool. Um, how you talk about ghosts and spirits, I find that quite interesting, um, because my, my dealing with these is that the ghosts are earthbound, and spirits come up, they can transcend from heaven, or vice versa, wherever they're coming from. I kind of find your way of thinking about the ghosts and spirits that's kind of interesting to me.
0: Well, you know, maybe we're wrong, but... As I said earlier in the show, from that first uh, field case, I ever, you know, expecting these things. Actually, you know, what I expected was, and I was a seminary student at the time studying for the priesthood, was that these would be souls in purgatory. That was my theory. But again, they didn't seem to be anything like that. They didn't even seem to be dead. I mean, we heard animals. We heard farm implements. And I began to wonder, why are these things so physical if these things are spirits, which by, by definition uh, have no bodies? Which, as I say, physicists have told us is not possible. You know, to have a fully contained personality and uh, memory, knowledge, and all the stuff without a body. So uh, that all kind of bothered me, and and that came up with the goofy ideas that I put in my book. So, uh, you know, maybe they're. But, but again, you know, maybe the approach that, that their spirits is correct. Uh, I just have never found that, and I don't think it is. Right, uh,
3: right. I mean, when you get into the paranormal, there's a whole bunch of stuff that you know people get into like UFOs and bigfoot and stuff like this my thing is almost a lot like well almost like yours I, I I believe in ghosts I believe in spirits and I also I believe there's demons out there you know there, there are demons you know
0: so well the funny thing too and I don't know if you've run into this yet but and, and Rick might want to comment on this because uh it was interesting to him when I first told him in early ghost cases which, as I say, I didn't think we were actually ghosts in that, that classical sense. We, when you looked outside the case, in the sense of physically, uh, the backyard or the neighbors, or, or if you could talk to uh, people, in, even in the family, we kept running into UFOs. People were seeing UFOs. In the exorcism cases, I was involved in the 70s. You know, five of the seven people at the state hospital in up, upstate New York were seeing UFOs. And even gray, what we would today call gray aliens by their beds. I mean, what was the connection here? The the priest wasn't really listening to me on that because, you know, I'm, what, 20, 21 years old. So, uh, anyway, that, that was, I just, I, I, I've always been a notorious questioner, which I guess I was kind of a pain in the neck in the seminary. I questioned everything. And I do the same thing in the paranormal. So, anyway, but, uh. So, Paul, I, I do I do
1: think what you brought up is uh, there's an interesting uh, paradigm that happens in these flap areas that you've kind of uncovered. You've got your Pennsylvania one, and I, I believe there's one up here, which uh, extends Northern California down to Marin and out to probably past Fresno. And it, it seems to stem around from Mount Shasta, which is very an interesting place and warrants a trip. But you won't just see UFOs there. You'll see strange uh, cryptids creatures uh things on land um and you can look at the cases that are there and you can you can start to say well yeah this is kind of all happening ufos these ghost sightings these cryptids these reptoids so there there's something around that and
0: maybe we'll get to the bottom of
1: it one of these days
0: well that would be interesting but anyway uh, very good uh, question thank you for calling in my friend
3: yeah cool talk to you later paul bye
0: okay all right, so uh, so there we are. Well, I guess uh, people are interested in the ghost thing, and uh, rightly so. So we have um, uh, our good friend uh, Peter from Bogota, Colombia, who sends in some very excellent questions. Uh, do you have Do you have these in front of you, Rick? Because you can uh, you can read them as Ben as Ben would.
1: Let me uh, switch right over one second.
0: In, in honor of <laughs> Ben today, yeah. All
1: so right. okay, I think this is the do- nope next one. This okay, doc. Okay. This question is. So Peter Bogota, Paul, have you mentioned your trip to Haiti a number of? Uh, You've mentioned your trip to Haiti a number of times, but can you please share the full story of what happened?
0: Okay, this is for a previous show, but we didn't get to this question. Uh, thank you, Peter, for writing in again. Uh, he has two other questions. Uh, in Haiti, in 1984, uh, I, I would very often use my deployments in the Coast Guard uh, to. Kind of double dip and uh, do some paranormal investigating wherever we happened to go if you know when when there was uh liberty uh or free time uh from the ship and uh we were we were kind of busy this is in uh, nineteen eighty four is in the wake of the uh, Grenada operation the urgent fury kind of thing and uh we were able to um i say i hear one of, one of my little cousins there <laughs> but uh uh i we were in haiti for uh uh Quite a few days, because we were returning uh, refugees who we had rescued from a trip. To, they were trying to get to Florida, but they, they'd be in these flimsy vessels. And we'd uh, we pick them up from another cutter, Coast Guard cutter, and uh, we'd you know we'd feed them, give them a medical checks and anything they needed, and then they'd be returned to Haiti, where we were assured that they would be uh, repatriated and not ill-treated. So I don't know about that. I wasn't high enough ranked to really know what <laughs> was going on. But in any case uh I had been in touch with a uh, a voodoo priest from Haiti by mail and uh I told him we were going to be coming to Haiti and I would have some liberty uh to meet up with him I'd never been him before so push came to shove uh I was able to uh, leave the ship and uh met him and he said would you like to attend the loa ceremony and uh, th- this is rather it was rather a uh, disconcerting kind of a, of a thing is I'd heard about these things, but I'd had experience uh, with the exorcisms and the parasites and pol- poltergeists, particularly the Bridgeport case and the New Haven case later uh, later on in the 70s. So we met up, a very, very nice fellow, and not only did he uh, promise to take me to the lower ceremony, he explained how zombies work. All right, <laughs> He said, oh yeah, it's illegal now, but we used to... <laughs> we would give people a drug to send them into a catatonic state and uh he you know and he said he'd actually done it himself you know many years before he was no spring chicken and uh, people would seem to die uh they'd be buried and before they could suffocate they like they would be dug up and uh revived and uh would be very suggestive uh, suggestible for many days to come and they'd set the music to doing work, or, or to, you know, it was, it was like slave labor. I mean, talk about extreme. So that that's the way it explained it to be. But in the meantime, that night we went to the Loa ceremony, and uh, it was one of the most disconcerting experiences of my life. They were able to, uh, There were, what looked to me, certainly, I, I had no question, the presence of parasites was just everywhere. I felt dirty when I came out of there. Uh, several people were possessed, crawling around on the floor, making strange noises that were, were not in their own voices. Uh, there were a lot of singing and banging going on, and, and there were sacrifices made to these, these gods, which, of course, were parasites, in my opinion. And uh, w- uh, one particular event stood out, and that was a man who underwent this possession, and he uh, was told the day and date of his death. And I said, oh, my gosh, he must have been ready to freak he thought this was wonderful. He said, now I can get my family ready, and uh, I'll be able to prepare. So I, mean, so I got out of there, and I went back to the ship, but I stayed on the ship the rest of the time in Haiti. It was just too un- unbelievable. Uh, and of course, Haiti is, is not the most pleasant place but the poverty. And at one point, I had to walk to the U.S. Embassy, and I had to literally hire somebody to keep the beggars off me. Uh, it, was, it was really uh, quite the experience. So, so that that's pretty much the complete story of Haiti. Uh, so, I hope that, yeah. <laughs> well, that's what you wanted, Peter. Right, Reminds so. me of
1: a movie called Serpent in the Rainbow. It, it, it was around voodoo and...
0: Oh, yeah, 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 exactly, yeah. Well, hoodoo is not quite the same thing as voodoo, alright? Uh, and there are, there are many, well, hoodoo is actually a folk tradition in the, and we've done shows on this, in the southeast U.S. that, uh, was more, uh, Even the European culture and some of the African-American culture came in there, too. But the the voodoo uh, was right from Africa via the Caribbean and is most present uh, in uh, Louisiana and among uh, that part of the Gulf Coast. Uh, But uh, you do see it here and there. And Santeria is another uh, form of it, uh, too, that's kind of a religion. And they use a lot of Christian symbols. As a matter of fact, in this law sermon, there were statues of St. Joseph. The other people, I said, holy Hannah, what's going on? What the hey? Uh, but that, that's, that's how, it, uh, how it works. I mean, religions do take on different cultural characteristics of this kind. So we're coming up on a break, but not just yet. So why don't we uh, take Peter's second question?
1: Um, I'll go um, to actually his third question first, which okay. is, what is the visual difference between the way Hollywood depicts ghostly apparitions and the reality as you have experienced it?
0: Well, to typical deep and penetrating question from peter uh, thank you peter uh, i I'll, I'll begin to answer probably to go to the other side of the break but. The visual difference well, Hollywood portrays ghosts in a lot of different ways that's evolved over the years uh to bet Ben's not here. he went to film school he could probably speak more uh, uh fluidly on that profoundly on that uh, but uh w- rather than the, the the typical uh, ghost that uh is uh Sort of like a shimmery kind of a uh, a whitish appearance, that is not necessarily inaccurate, uh, as we've often said, how do you see a ghost uh, yeah, and, and how do they see us? Well, we find that they see us as as we see them, and I've run into many who are afraid of us because they think we're ghosts because they see us like that uh, It's through uh, the membrane of uh, a plasma-charged membrane, as a physicist would call it, between parallel realities. And when we see something uh, like that, um, and, and it, it we just get the feeling that it's, you know, Uncle Steve, who died a couple of years before in that very house, it very well could be Uncle Steve, but he's not dead. Nobody's dead. Uh, he's existing in a parallel reality, uh, just as physical as we are, in my experience. And we see him, Like a classical ghost because of the plasma charged membrane we're looking through. Paul, Paul, when you speak of the plasma charged
1: membrane, would you say that, um, oftentimes you can smell it before you see it? Sort of that.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, Rick. Rick, you're already indispensable. Uh, (laughs) we, during the Bridgeport case, for example, uh, when we were about to be attacked, because uh, that's really what it was uh before the four entities came out of the kitchen and into the living room where where we were, I was with a little girl and, and and her parents and a uh, reporter and somebody else We could smell the very strong smell of ozone, okay uh ozone and sulfur are are very often associated with this, and of course folklore associates uh sulfur with the devil, okay, and these parasites certainly fill that that role. Uh, if you interpret them a certain way you know, the, whatever they do is usually not good for us, so uh yeah they're, they're, the smells uh, are part of the picture, yeah um, and then when these things came down the hall, you could see a, a kind of gauzy structures uh, which also would kind of uh, link up with, with Hollywood there uh, as far as the appearances of uh, uh other things um, sometimes ghosts in, in, in pictures in Hollywood appear fully physical. Uh, and people don't even know they're looking at something that's bo- that's a, a foreign entity, so to speak. And uh, I ha- I have <clears throat> run into that more than once myself. There are uh, archetypal parasites uh, such as the man in the checkered shirt. I've run into him twice, and he looked perfectly physical. He was you know ducking behind a corner as I saw, but he looked both. He looked the same. One case is in Montreal, Canada, uh, back in the seventies, and another one was later on uh, in New England uh, in the in the nineties, and he looked like the same guy. Uh, So that I guess it depends how much how much they are in our world, and I think that when we have paranormal experiences, we're partially in their worlds as well, uh, including parasites. Rick, it looked like that. Why,
1: Paul? Is that why when you have these breaches in the plasma membrane? Uh, things start to levitate or um, sort of circle around the room?
0: Yeah, we, we call them overwashes. That's a word we had to invent and it means literally that, that you've got uh, the energies of one world spilling into that of another, and you can see entities, you could have you know things float around the room, refrigerators float, and of course I've actually seen that and been hit by a floating, or actually flying television set, but at this point we're, we're going to take our bottom of the hour break, uh, you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno uh, this time with Ricky Eno as well uh, on WOON 1240 AM and 99.5 FM, in New England's very pretty and frozen black. In River Valley, right now, and we'll be right back with our open line. So, stick with us.
4: The night is alive. Join us and take a walk on the weird side when you tune in to the Kingdom of Nigh, hosted by Heather Wade. The finest in late-night talk. Listen live free weeknights starting at 9 p.m. Pacific time at thekingdomofnigh.com, talkstreamlive.com, and the Paranormal Radio app. Want to take a ride?
0: And welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. It's WOON 1240 AM and 995 FM. And we're here today with, uh, sitting in for Ben and Shane Searway is, uh, Richard Eno, our, our cool cousin from California. And, uh, we, uh, our guest had to reschedule, so we're doing open line. So, uh, let's get to, uh, our caller. And there we are. Okay. So uh hello welcome to Behind the Paranormal you're on WOON radio.
4: Hello, can you hear me?
0: Yes, you sound great.
4: Hi, this is Dev Bruni. I'm the Assistant State Director of Northern California MUFON.
0: Ah, yeah, good. We I, had How a are, are you guys doing? yesterday. Well, we're doing just fine, <laughs> thank you. Uh here in New England it's a little chillier than where you are, I must say, and a lot of ice. <laughs> so so uh yeah we had a great conversation uh dev yesterday and um so please uh, i'm going to let rick uh take over here and uh let's have a conversation <laughs> hey good Hi, morning good rick morning. good morning
1: and uh i'd like to let everyone know dev is my um move on mentor she's taught me how to do the research cases she's strict and, and very dedicated uh about what she does she um was presenting yesterday She has numerous cases. Um, Dev, how many cases have you researched at this point?
4: Well, I've uh, completed uh, a little over 850 cases for MUFON uh, in 12 years.
1: That is amazing. And and as well as, I mean, talk about meticulous notes um, and just an amazing researcher, but she's also an experiencer. Um, So, Dev, can you talk a little bit about that first?
4: Uh, yeah, sure. Um well basically uh ever, my entire life I've been interested in UFOs. Um when I was a kid, uh back in the late 60s, I'd be watching all the those B movies like Earth versus the Flying Saucers and, you know, all that. My I was always just thinking about life out there in the universe when I was a kid and about aliens and that kind of thing. Um, and in the 70s, I started to do a lot of heavy research um, and get the word out that I was interested in this subject so that if someone had a sighting, I wanted them to come to me. There was no Internet, obviously. Um, so it was difficult to get that word out there. And, you know, I was a teenager at that time. So uh, about that, about the... Mid to late seventies, um, I spoke with Betty Hill and on the phone, and then we were corresponding. And I still have um, the letter and the Christmas card she had sent me back then. And she really encouraged me to continue on with my research. And you know, cause I told her I wanted to be an, a UFO investigator, and she really encouraged me to continue with that. So um, fast forward, just. Researching all these years and talking to prominent people that were, that I, cause I had a big interest in, uh, alien abduction. And, uh, I spoke with Betty Andreessen and Luca, I have corresponded with her, and, um, Ray Fowler, uh, basically just doing whatever I could to get my hands on, uh, information, and um, doing I, I did get a couple of people that were finding out that I was interested so I did do some um, early investigations on my own. Then I in the eighties I ended up joining Mufon and I met Ruben Urardi, who is our state director here in NorCal. Um, and I didn't join Mufon as an investigator at that time. I really my career in robotics was really taking off, and I was spending like 12-hour days, you know, six days a week working. So I really didn't have the time to do that kind of thing. So I ended up uh, moving to Oregon in 2007, and then I joined MUFON, and I became their chief investigator, and um, ended up Robert Bigelow's. Uh, funded MUFON at that time in 2009 for the SIP project, which was the STAR Impact Project that he launched. And it was very elaborate. There was uh, protocols to follow. We had to write up uh, different, uh, like, forms and everything. Um, and I was hired as uh, the Oregon investigator for that SIP project, and I was deployed probably four times. And, you know, this was a paying gig, so I thought that was really exciting because MUFON is uh, an organization where we all uh, volunteer. We don't get paid for this. So, unfortunately, the SIP project only lasted for about a year, but I was also hired as dispatch. So we monitored the database almost 24 hours a day, um, and we would, like, call immediately anybody in the United States to find out more information if this was a high-profile case that followed the protocols that uh, Bigelow wanted. So that ended. I moved back to Northern California, and I decided to write a book about my boots-on-the-ground investigations. And I started to think about, this is something I had wanted to do for a long time, just never had the time. And I started to think about how I was going to set it up, the book, and I decided that I would include my sightings. I've had a lot of sightings in my life. I've also had really strange events. And, you know, I was always so busy uh, researching and uh, investigating other people's sightings and events that I would document what I saw and uh, experienced, but I would always put it on the back burner. I did report some of my sightings to MUFON, so they are in the database um, and had other people investigate, obviously. Uh, so it really came down to, wow, I should start possibly getting regressed so I can try to find out about some of these events that happened to me. And I did, back in 1990, uh, I actually had a subscription to UFO Magazine, and I saw that there was a hypnotherapist that was featured in um, that magazine, and I, she was right here in the Bay Area. That's where I was living at the time, and um, I got a hold of her, and uh, she regressed me. Now, what was interesting, uh, her name was Helen Billings. Um, She was really fantastic, and what was happening was when I was being regressed, there was like a block. Like, um, like all I could see was blackness, just dark black, like a void. And she couldn't get me past that, um, and ended up bringing me back out. And then we talked about. She said, "Well, you're either being blocked by something or someone, or, or you know, it's your your subconscious probably protecting your mind. Maybe you're not ready for this." And um, she said, well, let me ask you a question. She said, uh, are you really ready to find the, tr- you know, find out about the truth? And I sat there because I was a little frightened to find out, you know, like what, what does this all mean? You know, like all these things that were happening to me. So I really sat there and I thought about it as she's looking at me and I looked at her and I said, well, I guess not. I, I was like, truthfully, I wasn't ready. And that was 1990. And so what was interesting was she says, well, I'm going to put you back under, and she did. And then she asked me, when was the first time you saw a UFO? Well, consciously, I remember the first time I saw a UFO in this life, right? Well, it was very strange. Automatically, I saw myself looking out over like a desert – plat. I was up on a plateau, so I was looking down at the desert floor. like That's what it looked like. And there was a long cylindrical object that was landed, just sitting there. And she was saying, "Well, what do you see? What you know? Tell me about it." So I start to tell her um, what I'm seeing. I said, "Oh," um, and I realized I was a Native American boy, and my father was the chief. And I'm I, I'm spilling all this out, and I was you could hear yourself talk, and I was just really shocked, and I said, uh, my father was talking with the canoe people that came from the stars, and when I was hearing myself talk about that, I was thinking, wow, (laughs) I was just really kind of shocked, and then, uh, of course, I guess what she she did to make me understand how real this was, was she asked me, who did I know in that lifetime that I know in this lifetime? and immediately i said my nephew anthony he was my baby brother in that lifetime and i'm very close to him today i mean in this life and um i started crying (laughs) and i'm not one to be crying about anything really and and it kind of brought me out of the regression and i kind of felt embarrassed because i'm sitting there crying about it and i said oh i'm sorry i don't know why i'm crying and She said, "No, no, no. This is very real. Love is very real, and it's bringing out the emotion." And um, she says, "You love this person." I said, "Yes, I do." And she goes, "Then you've had another lifetime with them, with with him, and um, you're just feeling the emotion of, you know, the realization of that." And I just said, "Wow, you know, and it, you know, it made sense, and it was real." me because of the emotional attachment and the realization that i knew this person from another time another lifetime and that i knew of these uh alien beings then (laughs) so it was very shocking for me to know that in another lifetime we were having contact and um because I was just thinking about the UFOs I've seen in this lifetime, and didn't think, and didn't expect that. So it was just pretty fascinating. So um, I'd come to the realization that um, through a few other re- regressions that I've done just recently, as, as of last year, um, to get some more information so I could put into my book, and it all leads to. I'm an investigator and why did I spend a lifetime of almost every day thinking about this UFO phenomenon? And it now kind of comes full circle to me and the realization that this is the reason why, uh, this is, I've been a part of this, kind of this, this phenomenon for a long, a very long time and not just me as being Dev in this time. So this is what I'm coming to terms with since I've just been regressed uh, just last year about a few other things. And I have to sit back and kind of reflect about that realization that here I spent a lifetime of talking and investigating other people's experiences and sightings, and yet I'm right along with them. So...
1: Yeah. <laughs> Deb, can I ask you a question? Um, sure. In your experience, whether it's in, in, uh, in your, this current situation during your regression sessions have you uh, uh, had memory or recollection of non-human entities in those regressions
4: yeah there was uh there was uh when i was uh, 11 years old uh so i was exploring what happened then and um, under the regression i remember being on a table uh, you know, face up, and something was looking down into my face, and it had a big head. And I think I was afraid to look at its face because it was really trying to... It was hovering over me kind of like and putting its face by my face, but I didn't want to look at its face. But I looked sideways, and I could see this long neck, this long neck, and it was really skinny, like... Um, And I just kept thinking as I was looking at its neck, like how can it have such a skinny neck with a big head, you know, and I was just looking at it and um, didn't want to look at its face. And then I realized there was somebody else at the at my feet, but a smaller being. It possibly could have been gray. I don't remember. I did take um, a digital recorder with me so that I could record everything that was said because I was afraid I might forget something so that I could transcribe that later. Um, But it was a smaller being that I remember standing there um, at at my feet. Um, And that's what I had said during the regression. So I was pretty shocked over that, too, as well. Um, In fact, I came out of it going, man, is this real? (laughs) You know, like, because... It, it it was kind of strange for me to to come to that realization that wow I guess I was abducted in you know I didn't remember I didn't remember at all um, and then when it you know when I and through the regression it it came out I was I was kind of shocked.
1: That's fascinating. I'm going to switch this to your research efforts as a car I know you have an interest in cryptids, reptoids, Bigfoot, and UFOs, and and um, Paul's experience. And please, Paul, anytime.
0: Uh, well, just only to say, we only have a, another couple of minutes because there's one more question I want to get to. But we're, we're definitely going to have Dev uh, as as a guest very soon. But no, but go ahead, Richard. Oh, I was
1: just curious to know, in uh, in that piece, uh, have you noticed an overlay between um, cryptids, um, UFOs, spirits, people in, in certain areas, particularly where you live in California or where we live in California, have you noticed areas like that where they'll see UFOs, they'll see a Bigfoot, they'll see something, and there'll also be reports of ghosts or hauntings?
4: Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, as far as answering about California... Um, I, I also know a Bigfoot researcher, and um, him and I we talk a lot. And he was always going out into the field uh, for years, um, bigfooting. And one day he came across uh, a black figure that was upright walking, and it it was built different. Than a Bigfoot, and um, he ended up telling me what he saw, and we come to the conclusion because he came. He actually told me about it because he said this wasn't a Bigfoot, and he thought this was was a Dogman, and um, he knew that I was part of. Actually, I'm the regional one director for the North American Dogman Project, so I. Uh, am responsible for the 11 states in the west so he that's why he wanted to tell me about it and um, I just wanted to bring that portion up about that he told me where this area was and I can't remember the name of it now but there was also um, another uh, sighting where somebody saw um, a Bigfoot And they lived kind of like in a rural area and um, they ended up uh, seeing a UFO along with it. So my research and my belief is that they tie in um, together these cryptids that there have been many sightings, not just here in California, but many sightings where uh, Dogman or Bigfoot have been seen in conjunction with a UFO. So I just think that there's a big correlation, and that's why I got involved with the Dogman project. Is um, I wanted to further my research that would include that as well. So.
1: Well, yeah, okay. that's that fabulous. That's certainly Paul's, I believe, I won't speak for him, but his experience he's conveyed to me in the Pennsylvania Triangle. Um, we don't have a lot of more time right now, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, I would love, uh, Paul, I'll turn it yeah. over
0: to you. Okay. Uh, no, uh, we're going to have our, our casting producer get in touch with Dev, who was a wealth of information. We had a great conversation yesterday. I want to hear more about the Dog Man thing. Because, uh, funny, n- next week's guest is Linda S. Godfrey, was oh, sort yeah. of the dog, yeah, the Dog Man Lady of America. <laughs> She's done more research on that. And, uh, she actually, uh, got a glimpse of one while filming for Monster Quest at one point. We're going to talk about that next week. So, Dev, we're going to have you back on really soon. Uh, it was wonderful to make your acquaintance and we're going to be friends. Uh, from now on so <laughs> thank you so much for the <laughs> great class. okay all right everybody there's a uh, one question i want to get to because a uh, poor lauren from connecticut has been in the queue here for a couple of shows and we haven't gotten around uh she has a very simple question here uh that came in by email does rick go with you on any of your investigations and with his training in zoology does he focus on cryptids um well, uh, tragically, uh, he lives uh, thousands of miles away in California. We're in New England, and we, we have not been able to uh, go on investigations together. But uh, the zoology uh, cryptid thing uh, would seem to me to fit. What do you think, Rick? Yeah, it's,
1: uh, you know, honestly, I never had thought about cryptids before uh, a few years ago. And then I started to realize they had a prominence in what is going on in all this. And it's definitely, definitely fascinating to me. Uh, from the standpoint of knowing that there are physiological beings that may be different from ourselves that are occupying this space that can transcend dimension or time. So yeah, I'm looking forward to getting more information and learning about that. And, uh, I'm certainly open
0: to coming out there as soon as
1: COVID's over, Paul.
0: Well, that's it. Uh, travel restrictions being what they are. Uh, however, I, I wanted to add that we, we've had, uh, Ben and I really got into this because I was interested, while he was still little, in finding out if blood relatives have the same or similar impressions or stimuli uh, in in, uh, case situations, uh, the the particular case being a uh, quote-unquote haunted library in Abington, Connecticut. Now, um, our mutual cousin, uh, Marshall Bissett, was my first victim, uh, my first guinea pig in this. And, uh, w- this library case is very interesting. Uh, it was an old rural place and there was water, uh, mysteriously materializing on the stairs to the basement and it, it kept dripping and uh, the, the wood never rotted and there was no source for this, uh, this water, uh, to, to, appear. And uh, Marshall having some carpentry experience, uh, we went down there. This is many years ago and, uh, he and I had the same, uh, sort of reactions to the stimuli in different parts of the building in the sense of feeling something was weird or who you're going to call and that kind of thing. So as a result, uh, I thought that this was very very good. I see one of my little cousins in there. Uh, uh, So what what happened was that we uh, uh, began to uh, build on this idea, and Marshall has come with us on some other cases. And um, Ben, uh, when he was 13, he got in. And uh, there we have it. Yeah, in- introduce uh, my little... Uh... Okay, this is Aria. She... Aria 51?
1: Yeah, Aria 51. <laughs> That's actually a good one. That's really funny. Um, She's my seven-year-old. I've got four kids.
0: So... Oh, hi, Aria. It's Uncle Paul. And... Uh... <laughs> So, uh, anyway, we're going to be, uh, kind of wrapping up. But we, we've got, uh, um, a few more points on that. We'd love to have Rick and maybe even Aria when she's old enough, uh, get <laughs> involved in some cases here. And, uh, there is, uh, just a, another question here. of uh, I don't know if you wanted to, to tackle in just a, a few minutes here, Peter's question about, uh, any, uh, new cases, uh, any cases you're working on or what's going on, uh, with non-human entities there or hypnotic regression. Well, you've talked about hypnotic regression with Deb. So that takes, yeah, kind of I that snuck part.
1: that one in with Deb. Yeah. <laughs> Because <laughs> she's a wealth of information. Absolutely. Uh, non-humanities, we always have active cases going on. And what I'll do, uh, I'll go in and take a look to see what's out there. And I'll come back to another show and I'll report back what we've got on non-humanities. I haven't had at this point a case where involved a boots on the ground alien, but we have a database full of it and I can take a look at it.
0: Okay, excellent. Well, uh, we, we have, um, all the Enos multiplying rapidly here. We have, uh, Aria Eno you know, now with a sort of a guest co-host as well. So, uh, <laughs> so, um, Aria, if you don't mind me asking, uh, are, are you interested in this, uh, like flying saucers and UFOs and you things? Like UFOs? Yeah. Okay, there you have it. Leading a few words. Alright, very sucks. good. So, uh, So next week, uh, we do plan to have uh, some more on on this issue, and we have in two weeks another open line show, and we will uh, make every attempt to get to the questions that we did not uh, get to today. Now, uh, I think maybe just something very big. I I I hate to keep Peter waiting here. Uh, Did you – okay, I guess we – okay, we did deal with the visual difference. All right, good. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Did you have any thoughts on that, Rick, uh, as far as what Hollywood's doing and – Well, yeah,
1: I noticed, I mean, to me, as someone who views the movies and and so forth, I just think that there are cases where they have accurate kind of um, uh, uh, portions, but they tend to over-dramatize it and always make it evil. They never... Yeah, yeah. And that's a problem because I feel like it it takes away from people's wanting to understand. Like, you had that experience where you were meditating once, and I believe you were communicating with someone in another dimension that was at a, a train or a bus terminal.
0: Yeah, in Canada, yeah. Car. across yeah, the river.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And if people understood that this person was just doing their everyday lives and you had a connection. Uh, but I do think Hollywood puts a negative spin on it uh, every time.
0: Well, that's it. Uh, when we work with producers, there have been issues about uh, authenticity that, that we want to maintain. But uh, we're just about out of time here. We're we'll about to begin our announcements. Uh, okay, well, um, uh, can you go ahead? Yep. I got it. it. <laughs> <wise>. yeah, <laughs> you're, dimming, you're Ben today.
1: Okay, I am Ben today. With dimming prospects because of COVID, we plan to, well, Paul and Ben plan to speak at New England PowerFest on April 10th uh, and 11th, 2021 in Kittery, Maine, and hope uh, to a live broadcast of this show with a panel of speakers on Sunday the 11th. More information will be forthcoming.
0: And uh, we, uh, Ben and I, are working on a new book uh, with Shane Searway and Alexander Petikoff uh, that'll be up. Maybe we'll get Rick in, in on this too because there's still time. It'll uh, <laughs> be out later next year. Behind the Paranormal Three: Uneasy Skies, based on our own UFO experiences and those of our show guests over the years.
1: Okay, and check out their current books along with those of our other co-hosts at. The web at the show website behind the, behind the paranormal dot com, where you can also find out more about the show, our many cases over the years, our public appearances, and how to book us, along with some of our 900 plus free recorded shows from our 12 plus years on the air, including our four and a half year run on CBS Radio, along with special shows and, and podcasts.
0: And uh, there has been a breakthrough with the website, uh, actually works now, uh, from without, uh, having, my, having to go into my truck to upload stuff. Uh, and, uh, we are hoping to get all those shows, uh, 900 plus back on the site as well as on the, uh, uh, YouTube, uh, and iTunes apps, Apple Podcasts, on all, all the, all the major apps. Uh, most of the shows back to late 20, 2009. Uh, so you can check those out wherever you, uh, listen to your podcast. Uh, there are several links to several charities, of course, uh, we have ad- adopted on the show, including USA Cares, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, Helping Hate His Orphans. Uh, and it's funny, I just, uh, I'll show you a picture of, of one, one of my little, well, one of my little angels in, in Haiti. Uh, Aww. okay. That's Tito, Adorable. uh, from the Helping Hands Orphanage near Port-au-Prince. And, uh, great, great people. I know the people who run that charity. Really, really great. Uh, Youth Mentoring Connection in Los Angeles, uh, Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America, and the Sisterhood of Ground Zero. So, uh, check those out, uh, on our charities page on BehindTheParanormal.com. So, so Rick, uh, we've been talking a lot. Uh, what's cooking with you, for, uh, for the next project?
1: Well, my next project is still raising these four guys, but also, <laughs> also, um, if anyone has anything they uh, want to uh, have investigated locally, I uh, have an Instagram account, High Strangeness in the Bay Area. You can go on. You can communicate with me there. Or the same one is uh, my email account is High Strangeness in the Bay Area at gmail.com. Um, other than that, I've got an active case up in Mount Shasta. I can't really talk about it yet, but I promise to do that uh, in one of the
0: coming shows. Okay, we're about out of time here, so next week, December 13th, it'll be American Monster Mash, as we said, with Linda S. Godfrey. And our quote today is from Mother Teresa, one who is filled with joy, preaches without preaching. I'm Paul Eno.
1: And I'm Rick Eno, filling in for Ben Eno. And uh, thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we'll see you next time on Behind the
0: Paranormal. And don't forget Aria, Eno. (laughs) See you next week, folks.
1: All right, say bye, Aria.